session and just had some phenomenal questions. And thank you for sharing your stories. Um, thank you for sharing your encouragement and the things that you're wrestling with. I get it. You know, one thing I want to remind you of is that we are all in a process of um, feasting on the word of God and digesting that. And it takes a lifetime. Would you not agree? It takes a lifetime. And there were things that I believed one way when I was much younger. And then as I grew and I, and I, I chewed on that scripture for years and years and years and watched God use it in my life and how it played out, I began to understand it in a different light. The word of God is alive and active. That means he doesn't change, but how he applies the word to our lives sometimes does. Had you had that experience? You can read the same verse for your whole life, and then you're in a certain situation, read that same verse, and it means something completely different to you. You understand it in a brand new light with a whole new perspective. So that's part of my journey in this whole spiritual battle issue. Um, we're all in a spiritual battle. If you weren't with us yesterday, we are all in a spiritual battle, every single one of us. And we have options of how we are going to respond to that spiritual battle. We know that battle is not a battle of flesh and blood. In other words, it's not a physical battle. It's a spiritual battle we're fighting, so therefore we've got to fight it in the spiritual realm. Let me say this. The battle that's going on in the spiritual realm will often manifest itself in the physical realm. The battle that's going on in the spiritual realm will often manifest itself in the physical realm. Think about that. So when I'm sick, please keep listening. When I'm sick, it is a perfect time to say, Father, is this a battle of the spiritual realm? Or did I abuse my body? Because sometimes it's an attack of the enemy. Sometimes it's an attack of the enemy. You see it all through the word. The woman bent over for 18 years. Was it her fault? Mm -mm. It was an attack of the enemy. She's been over for 18 years. Probably been to every doctor she could find. Nobody could heal it. Why? Because it wasn't a physical problem. It was a spiritual problem. It was an attack of the enemy. And once that spirit was removed from her world and she was no longer demonized, she straightened right up. She was healed. So I grew up really with a very, let me, can I just say it plainly? A very negative outlook on my charismatic brothers and sisters. And I have repented of that. And I have since come to know that the word charismatic means to keep attention. Well, I'd like to be very charismatic for you. Why? Because I want you to pay attention to what I have to say. It, we've, we've pigeonholed people and denominations. And therefore, we end up missing out. Honey, I need my Bible. It's over there. It's right there on the chair, I think. Um, it's blue, yeah, thank you. Um, so then we end up missing out on what is in here because we've seen some kooky things. We've heard some kooky things. Would you agree? I mean, you guys, when I grew up, can I just tell you? 
the father was the mean one, Jesus was the nice one, and the Holy Spirit was the freak. He was the weird one. That's the way I grew up. Maybe you didn't grow up like that. I hope you didn't. Did anybody grow up like that? Do you have the guts to say it? Praise God. So that's how I grew up. So as I'm learning about the Holy Spirit and what he does, what I'm finding is that there are some really bizarre things. And a lot of that has to do because we're dealing with two realms. We're dealing with the spiritual realm and the physical realm. And so often we get so sidetracked by what we see. So there's four kinds of powers that I want to talk about today. Let me give them to you real quick. The power of prayer. The power of prayer and fasting. The power of words. And the power of identity. And we're going to flip over to 1 Samuel and start there. If you want to open to 1 Samuel. We're going to talk about Hannah. You know that Hannah was a woman of faith, and she was barren. It's really interesting to pay attention to all of the barren women in Scripture. I'm going to do a study on this one day and, and, and really dig into barrenness because there is just something there. So many times it says God closed the womb of. He did it. He did it. He made a choice to close a womb. And so Hannah is married to a man named Elkanah. The name Hannah means gracious. Isn't that perfect? Gracious. And you know the story of Hannah. Maybe you know a Hannah in your life. I hope that fits. It's gracious. Yes. We're going to start in chapter 1. So she's childless. Now, you have to know that in Bible times, if, you, if a woman did not have a child, it, they were very looked down on. That was a woman's purpose, was to have a child. And so oftentimes, if a woman's womb was closed and she was unable to bear a child, her husband would take a second wife in order to have children, which is probably what happened here with Elkanah. So Hannah was probably the first wife. He takes a second wife, Penina, who has several children. And Penina then begins to taunt Hannah. And there's this jealousy thing there. Gentlemen, would you agree that one wife is enough? Can you imagine having two or three or four of us to deal with, honey? It's just God intended for one man and one woman. That's what, that's what marriage is. And it's, it's wild when you read the Old Testament. It seems like God is just overlooking the fact that so many men had multiple wives. I mean, it never ended well. It never ended well for these men. It was always a problem. But so many men did it, and it was like it came to a point where God just drew a line in the sand. So they were not supposed to have multiple wives. They knew it. They did it anyway. So... Um, Children in, in, in the Old Testament, it, it, it represented, and I believe it still does, favor on a woman. That doesn't mean that if you can't have children that God's favor is not on you. But it's a, a favor of blessing with a legacy. So Hannah was really um, distraught because 
she was unable to bear children. So she's provoked, she's mocked by Panina. It's kind of the same Hagar-Sarah situation. Same thing happened, Hagar and Sarah. So let's go to, um, let's start at, oh, let's say, we'll just start at verse 3. Year after year, this man, Elkanah, went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Penina, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her until she wept and would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say to Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? I think that's hilarious because I can see Hannah looking at him going, no, you don't. Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple in bitterness of soul. In other words, her soul, her emotion, that those five senses that you experience the world with. Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord, and she made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son. She prayed specifically for a boy. That was better back then. It was someone to take care of you when your husband died. Then I will give to him the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. Probably referring to a Nazarite vow. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. So this priest is watching her pray. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. So she's praying, but she's not making any noise, but she's moving her lips, and she's praying very fervently. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long will you keep getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I'm a woman who's deeply troubled. I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Notice where Hannah runs in her anguish and grief. Notice where she fights the battle. It's a spiritual battle, but it's manifesting itself in the physical realm. How? She's mocked. She's provoked. She's made fun of. She's put down. Eli answered, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. Let me read that again. The priest says to her, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant what you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went away and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Do you notice how his words made it such a difference in her life? Instantly. Instantly. A well-timed word, especially of someone in authority, someone who has the anointing of God, a well-timed word. 
Early the next morning, they arose and worshiped before the Lord, then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah lay with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. When the man Elkanah went up with the, all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, which is at about three years old, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. That means I'm going to take him to Eli and leave him at the synagogue, and he is going to stay there for his whole life. She's giving her child over because she vowed him to the Lord. Elkanah says, do what seems best to you. Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son. Another translation says, may the Lord help you keep your vow. In other words, that's a big vow. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull and all the things she had to do for a sacrifice. When they had slaughtered the bull, they brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, as surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I will give him to the Lord for his whole life. He will be given over to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. So she takes her three-year-old son, her most prized possession, the, the possession that she cried out in anguish to the Lord for. And she's vowed, if you give me a son, I'll give him right back to you. I'll give him right back to you. Now, in, in Bible times, when a person made a vow like that, you could vow to have someone um, work in the, the temple for a period of time. And, but then you could redeem them with money. Uh, and there were prices uh, depending on if it was a man over the age, I think, of 65, a woman between, you, you know. So all these different age brackets and, and, and gender. And so here's the, the ticket, though. Hannah wasn't going to redeem him. It was a lifelong vow. It was, he now belongs to the Lord. And here's what I want you to get. Hannah went to war in the spiritual battle for a physical thing. And she warred for herself. She just wanted a baby. Now, she went on to have more children, which is quite incredible. It's like God opened a room and then blessed her with more children because she gave that first. But do you remember how Samuel affected Israel? He was a great prophet, priest, and judge. In fact, he was the last judge to take the people from the time of the judges into the time of the kings. He was transitional. He was crucial to the people of Israel. But she wasn't warring for that, I don't believe. I don't think she was God asking God for a man that was going to change the course of history. She was asking God for a baby. Her. She's warring for herself. But we never know what spiritual warfare is going to do in the long run. We have no idea... When we war in the spiritual, how that's going to affect my generations to come. 
your generations to come, your family, when you fight in the spiritual now and you win victories and you break chains, that's going to affect your generations to come, the legacy that you leave. So if we avoid fighting in the spiritual realm, there are going to be all kinds of physical problems in the physical realm that result from that because we're losing battles. Now, we talk about this. We talk about, you know, the Bible says that the battle is won. It is. Jesus conquered death and grave. Our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. We're going to heaven. So the battle, the major battle is won. But it's clear until we die, we will have trial and tribulation. We will have little battles along the way that seem huge to us, but in the grand scheme of things, they're, they're in our lives, they're in our nation, they're in our world, but there is no battle that can be won or lost that is going to change the fact that Jesus conquered death and grave. That is done. That's done. But we have battles in our lives that we have to face. So, um, can you imagine giving a child away? Any Anybody have problems getting pregnant that you want to? Okay. I did, too. I was told I couldn't have children. Um, so I really relate to Hannah. I was told I couldn't have children, and I was told at a very young age. And, and the doctor said this. I don't think you're going to be able to have kids. Um, he said, if you can, it's going to take a very long time. And it's going to be very expensive. So I would suggest you start now. I was about 22 at that time. We'd been married two years. And we didn't have money. We didn't have any, you know. And I didn't know about battling in the spiritual realm. I didn't understand any of that. And, and I just, you know, but I prayed about it. And I said, and God met me right where I was at. I just said, Lord, I, you know, what do you want us to do? And, and I just felt in my spirit that God says, I'll give you a child when, if I want you to have a child. Don't worry about it until then. And I said, okay. So we didn't worry about it for nine years. And I remember one day walking in Meyer, and I was pushing a cart, and I came up along all of the Easter dresses. And, and I have to tell you, I really didn't have, for those years, I, I really never was the kind of person that was, I got to have a child, I have to have a child, until this day in Meyer, And I come up along all the Easter baskets and Easter dresses, and I saw all those little kid things, and I began to cry. And Randy said, what's wrong? And I said, I just realized the lack of a child in my life is going to mess up on so many people. And he put his arm around me, and he kind of kept going through the store. Well, I didn't know I was pregnant at that moment. I did not know. Had no clue. A year later, we're walking in the same store, I'm pushing a cart. I come up to the same display of little kids' clothes and Easter baskets, and I begin to weep. And Randy says, okay, what's wrong? And I pointed to the baby in the basket. I said, oh, Randy, my God. My God's going to die. So, you know, our daughter, Kennedy, was first. She's 23 now. And she just, just was just a sweet, sweet, sweet baby. Like so many people talk about that first one, just such an easy baby. Which makes you want to have another one. And, you know, we looked at her and we said, I kind of like her. Let's do that again. You know, let's have another. Let's get another one. And so right away we started 
you know, I was thinking, okay, God's opened my womb. Let's do another one. And so um, we tried and tried and tried, and I couldn't get pregnant. And, and so we prayed about it, and we did fertility. We just felt that that was fine. And so we kind of, in our minds, drew a line in the sand of how far we would go with fertility. And after only one month, I get pregnant. And so, and, and I have to tell you that when we were doing fertility, I said, Lord, I really want a little boy that looks just like my husband. And boy, did I ever get that. So when Casey um, was born, I have to tell you this, when our son was born, um, he was completely dead. The cord was wrapped around his neck several times. Both of our children were born with the cords around their neck, but our daughter was breathing. No, heartbeat. She wasn't breathing. She had a heartbeat, obviously. Um, so, but our son was completely dead. He wasn't breathing. There was no heartbeat. And when they pulled him out of me um, <clears throat> and laid him on my stomach, my husband, who's been uh, seen, you know, people die um, just with being a pastor and been with people in their last moments of life. He looked at that baby on my stomach and he said, doctor, he's dead. And the doctor said, not when I'm done with him. And I've never seen this on the baby story on TLC. They don't show stuff like this. And that's exactly what I thought as I'm laying on that table. And the doctor grabbed him by his two little feet and put him up in the air like this. And there were seven people that, that caught him into a bassinet. And seven people worked on him at one time. And it was a little while before we heard anything. And during that time, it was just quiet. You heard the commotion of the room. We didn't know it, but they had called for every available uh, attending physician to come to my room because they knew that this baby was um, in great distress. And so during that time where there is commotion, of course, no one's paying attention to me. Ladies, you've had babies. You know what that's like. You have the baby, and then everybody walks away from you. You're still laying on the table. Your legs are in the stirrup. You're not covered. There's all this commotion in the room. There's very, very little modesty. And while that's all going on, I hear my husband, he grabs my hand and he says, Lord, you've just given us this child. We'd like to keep him for a little while. And as we're praying and crying out to God in our spirits, we hear the faint cries of a child. And pretty soon they bring him over to me and the, the um, neonatal specialist said, it's called the jump start. It's quite, a, it's quite frequent. We, it happens with um, babies sometimes, they just need a really good jump start. She said, I, I, I tell you, he's fine. He's great. We're going to run some tests on him and no problems. I said, what? Maybe that'll be the only uh, test and trial we have in our lives with that child. <laughs> but as I'm laying there and there are all these doctors and nurses in and out, there were probably 15 people in and out of that room. And of course, like I said, I'm still laying in the stirrups. And after our son starts breathing and they take him from the room, my husband looks at me and says, I can't go through this again. There was a nurse standing by my side and she looked at me and she said, honey, do you want me to give you something sharp? And I said, yeah. so grateful for my son. He's just incredible. Just an incredible person. Just a really nice man. He's 21 now. When he turned 18, well, maybe when he was, when he was 16 or 17, let me tell you this first, 
16 or 17, I was praying for him. Woke up in the middle of the night, and I was just, you know, your, your heart is heavy for someone. And I woke up about 3 o'clock in the morning, and I was just, my heart was really heavy for him. And I said, God, I need a verse. I need a verse to hang on to. Can you give me a verse? Where do I read, Lord? And I heard the Lord say, go to 1 Samuel 1. And I said, oh, I know that chapter. <laughs> he said, then read it. And so I read it, and when I read the words of 1 Samuel 1, 28, they jumped off the page at me, and I knew this was my life verse to claim over my son, and it says this, so now I will give him to the Lord. For his whole life, he will be given over to the Lord. There's another translation that says, and he will belong to the Lord for the rest of his life. And that jumped off the page at me. It bolded, and it raised off the page, and I knew that God was saying, that is the verse that you claim over him for his whole life. And I've stood on that verse. Do you know what it means to stand on a verse? It means that when the enemy comes against you and tells you lies, threatens you with negative thoughts, remember the enemy cannot read your mind, but he can suggest things to you. And the enemy is so smart and clever he watches generational lines. He watches our life patterns. And then he suggests negative thoughts, lies, in conjunction with our weaknesses. So when the enemy comes against me and says, you know what? I'm going to get your kids. I go, no, you're not. First Samuel 1 28. He's going to belong to the Lord for the rest of his life. You're not going to get my kid. Hush, in the name of Jesus. I'm standing on that verse. God gave me that verse. If you don't have a verse for your children or your grandchildren or your spouse and you're believing for something, ask the Lord to give you a verse. Let me give you a verse if you have a prodigal. Let me give you a great verse. Jeremiah 31:16. It says this, restrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears. Your work will be rewarded, and your children will return from the enemy's territory. So how do you stand on a verse? You claim that, Lord, I am not going to let this situation destroy me. I am not going to weep. I am not going to constantly be a wreck because I'm worried about my son or my daughter or my grandkids or my spouse. I'm not, I'm not going to let this destroy my life. What I am going to do is I'm going to work hard and I'm going to come to you in prayer and it's going to take diligence, Lord, and I'm going to partner with you. And here I am again, praying, praying, praying for the people that I love and I'm going to work hard and you're going to reward it. And my children are going to return from the enemy's territory. In fact, they're coming back right now. They're a step closer to you, Jesus, right now. And you claim, you proclaim out loud. Why? Because when we speak out loud, it changes our atmosphere. And our ears hear it. And our tongue says it. And you are engaging your soul into believing something. It is so much more powerful than repeating a verse in your head. The enemy can't hear what you say in your head. Can't hear it. So when you are going to fight in the spiritual realm, you need to use your mouth. When my son was turning 18, I remember one day I came down and 
I was really kind of emotional because we homeschooled all the way through. And uh, I knew that life was going to change very swiftly and that we were coming to an end of an era. And I was happy. Uh, I, I, I was thrilled about not having to homeschool anymore. And I was, I was sad that an era was ending. And there was just all these mixed emotions. Ladies, do you kind of understand? I'm sure, gentlemen, you understand as well. Just mixed emotions. So I walked into the kitchen this one morning. And he's standing at the stove and he's making eggs. And I, he just looked so big to me. He just looked tall and wide. You know, his shoulders looked so wide. And he just looked like a man standing there. And I walked up to him and I kind of put my hand on his back. And I started to say, you will always be my baby. And it was as if the Holy Spirit did this. And I know that feeling <laughs> very well. <laughs> I know that feeling very well. And I knew that the Holy Spirit was stopping my speech. And I said, inside of me, I said, Holy Spirit, what? And he said, open your mouth, Marilyn. And out came words that I wasn't thinking of, but I agreed with as I heard myself saying them. I said this, son, you are not a baby. You are a mighty man of God filled with valor and strength. And God has a plan for you that is like no other. You are not a baby, so don't act like one. This world has enough men running around acting like babies. Don't join that club. No offense to my male friends here. None of you act like babies. And you are not a baby, and I will not refer to you as a baby. You are a man. Now go be one. He said, okay, Mom. He's turned himself. Little did I know how hard it would be to let go. Words are easy to say sometimes. But I go back to that moment. God takes me back to that moment, and he says, Marley, your son is not a baby. He is a man, and I will deal with him like I will deal with your daughter as an adult woman. I will deal with them on their own. Your job now is to parent from afar and to pray like you have never prayed before. Ladies, can I just tell you, when you call your son a baby, you speak a curse over him. Let him grow up. Get out of the way. Let him be a man. He's got to bump his head. You can't fix every problem that's coming his way. You can't fix your own problems. I can't fix my own world. I got my own issues I can't do. I can't fix his. It's so hard, I know. I know it's hard. Why is it so much harder for a mother to let go of a son than a daughter? You ever think about that? Let me tell you why. Because in the spiritual realm, men, you are anointed to lead our families. We need you. We need you to be men of God. And ladies, if we get in the way of that and we continue to be our son's spiritual covering, they will never grow into the men that they are to be to lead their families. We need men to be our spiritual covering. It's the way God did it. It's the way he set it up. Doesn't mean we're less than. I'm an equal partner with my husband. We submit one to another. What does that mean? It means that things that I'm good in, Randy will say to me, Mar, what do you think? You're better at balancing the checkbook. Mar, what do you think? You know the accounts. You know what we've got. What do you think? Well, I think this. 
All right, let's pray about that together. And he takes the lead in that. It, it's not that, that he's the boss of everything. Ladies, if you look at your husband like a boss, you're never going to have an intimate relationship with your husband. That's really good. But if your partner is like God created us to be, it's going to be great. But if we don't let our sons go, they're never going to grow into men. Isn't it interesting how how God vows, this is what I'm thinking, vows are so important, and it's interesting to me how God um, throughout Scripture shows us the importance of vows. So the, the mileage probably from um, Rama to Shiloh was probably 25 miles, which would have been a long trip back then, but can you imagine that long trip of Hannah walking to give her son up? Every step. I'm one step closer to saying goodbye. I'm one step closer to seeing him one time a year and bringing him a new coat. One step closer. She did it. She warred in the spiritual realm. Yeah, our words mean something. And you know what I learned from this? Be careful what you vow to God. Right? Be careful. I remember we went to this Bible study. Went to this Bible study with um, some dear, dear friends. And we're sitting in this living room of these people. And um, there was a, a, a single mom. And she had four kids and just had no money or anything. And she said, they're going to turn our electricity off. And she said, and our water is going to be cut off soon. And. We just, we have no money. Could you guys pray for us? And I remember the pastor saying, no, we will not pray. And every head <laughs> popped up. Well, this is different. And he said, we're actually going to be the church. And he looked at us and he said, get your wallets out. So what are we going to do? Sit around and talk about being the church? We're actually going to do it. So I knew <laughs> right away uh, because I, I do the checkbook and the accounts, that was a very unique month where we were in between ministries and we did not have one concert, we had no income, and we had no money. But I'm sitting there and I'm going, I want to be the church and I want to be involved in this, but I don't have any money. And I thought, all right, well, I'll write a check. Don't look at me like that. You all have written bad checks before too. I know you have. Don't judge me. So I grabbed my checkbook, and I opened my checkbook, and I don't have any checks. And I was so frustrated because I thought, I can't even write a bad check. I was so frustrated. So I lean over to um, the pastor's wife, and I go, hey, can I borrow 20 bucks? And she goes, sure. She goes, she gets 20 bucks. She gives it to me. So when I saw that mom, I put it in her hand, and I'm hugging her, and I'm kissing her, and just, just kind of my personality that could be overwhelming at times and I just put it in her hand and I said you know what I'm praying for you whatever's in the mailbox tomorrow it's yours so the next day we get the mail and lo and behold there's an escrow check that I had no idea was coming for $760 now if $760 doesn't change your world just for a little while anyway you need to be supporting our ministry okay and this is what I did. I, when I opened it and I saw the amount, I went, oh. 
And I called Randy and I said, I have really good news and I got really bad news. And so I explained the situation and I said, Rand, I, I was just, it was, it was just my personality that gets me in trouble sometimes. And he said, no, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. He said, it was a vow before God and now you're being tested. Are you actually going to be a disciple of Christ and write that check? He said, you get that check in the mail as fast as you can. Do you know how many times God paid us back? I do because I kept track for a while. I kept track. I cannot outgive God. I was blown away, and finally I said, you know, God, <laughs> you've proven yourself. <laughs> you've proven yourself. Be careful what you vow to God. But when you do make a vow, oh, make good on it. It's going to be a battle. The enemy's going to try and get you to say things you don't mean, and he's going to try and get you to be quiet when you should be speaking. He's going to get you to, he's going to try and get you to speak when you should be quiet. He's just going to try and mess you up with, with speaking. So Hannah warred for herself. She warred for a baby. Um, Sometimes when I'm worrying for somebody, I'll come up with an acronym. I call it my app, my Arsenal Prayer acronym. And I'll take their name. So let's say it's Randy. Let's say he's gone off the rails and his life is just a mess, and it's not, but let's say. And so my, I would take his name and write it on a piece of paper. And for the R, I may put um, renew his mind. And then I'll put scripture with it, Romans 12, 1 and 2. And then I would pray that over him and speak that. Lord, Randy's mind is being renewed right now in the name of Jesus. He's not conforming to the patterns of this world, but he's being transformed by the renewing of his mind. He's going to understand your will. He's going to understand that you have a plan for him. I'm going to speak that. And then I would go to A, maybe accusations of the enemy. No weapon formed against Randy will prosper. And I'm going to put a scripture with each of those things. And it keeps me focused to go to battle for the person that I love or maybe even myself. It keeps me focused and on a plan. See, because there are so many situations we'll find ourselves in where we have absolutely no control. And you feel helpless. But we're not. We can have a great impact. We might not have control, but we can have a stellar impact. Let's go to the second one, power of words. So that's the power of prayer. Let's go to power of words. Words are important well-timed according to the Spirit. Speak them out loud. We know that words bring life and death. Proverbs 18, 21. There's life in the power of the tongue. We know that God created everything by speaking. We are made in his image. We are not creators, but we are those who need to come in alignment with his will. So when Jesus prayed and said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, as it is in heaven, when Jesus is talking about the kingdom, if you want to be a part of the kingdom, he's talking about this kingdom on earth. You want to be a part of this kingdom? There's, you've got to follow me. You want to be part of the kingdom, you've got to follow the king. So our words are going to dictate so many things that we believe. What you believe in your heart is going to come out of your mouth. 
So if you're a grouchy person or a snotty person um, and you're biting, there's an issue with the heart. You might be trying to fight the battle in the spiritual realm or in the physical realm saying, I just have to clear up my language. I have to clear up the way I talk. That's fighting in the flesh. But if you say, God, change my heart, I'm going to plant your word in my heart so that you are in me and your words bring life, then what comes out of your heart will be love for other people. You cannot produce what's not there. Does that make sense? So we've really got to look at the fact that what's in our heart is going to come out of our mouth. So we need to ask for a heart change. Um, Joel 3, let the weak say I'm strong. So when I feel tired, when I feel weak, when I feel exhausted, when I feel apathetic, when I just, oh, depressed, anxious, whatever, instead of saying, I'm so depressed, I'm so depressed, no, let the weak say I am strong. It's not a lie saying, I am strong, I am strong. You almost have to get a little forceful with it because you've got to convince yourself. Remember, there's two things at play here. There's the spiritual realm, the principalities of the dark that are warring against us, but there's also the conditioning of our mind, the patterns of our mind, the patterns of our thinking. We have to change both of those. So when I say I am strong, but I'm actually feeling weak, it's not a lie. In Romans Four, God refers to Abraham as the father of many nations before Abraham even had children. That wasn't a lie. God was saying, God's not bound by time. He was already there. But he's saying, this is what is happening. This is what is going to happen. It's already in the course of happening. And so we can align ourselves with God and God's will. And this is kind of where you get into the name it and claim it thing. Um, We are. We're claiming scripture. We're naming it and we're claiming it. What we're not doing is saying, I want a brand new red Ferrari. That's what we're not doing. We're talking about the will of God in someone's life. The will of God is that every single person on the planet come to Jesus. It's his will that none should perish. So in your life, if I say, God, your kingdom come, your will be done in Russ's life right here, right now, I know the will of God is for us to know God deeper and deeper and deeper every day. He's seeking your kingdom. And I'm speaking words that I know are in alignment with God's will. And I'm kind of calling that forward in his life. I'm kind of pulling that out and changing the atmosphere and defeating the enemy. See, the enemy cannot stand scripture. Why? Because the word became flesh. Who's the word? Jesus can't stand them. So you keep quoting scripture, that enemy is eventually going to leave you alone. And it may take a little while, but you keep quoting it. You keep quoting it. I have, well, let me tell you this, uh, a well-timed word. I love this. My daughter, uh, 23 years old, she's had a pretty rough year. So she graduated from Moody Bible last year. And um, we were praising God that she actually had to, got to have a graduation but it wasn't during the quarantine time. It felt so bad for so many graduates that missed out on that. So much work. 
but she graduated from Moody and then she took an, an internship in Florida and and then, you know, it just kind of seemed like life just kind of stopped for her. You know, she came back home, no friends, no boyfriend, no love interest, no, no direction. Where, where, God, where do you want me? She just didn't know. And she was just really has had a rough year. And so um, I told you she got a job at a coffee house. Well, she called me a couple of days ago, the night before last, in fact. She said, Mom. I have to talk to you. We were here in camp. She said, I have to talk to you. She called me during a session. Called her back. She said, I got to talk to you. She said, I had the roughest day I have had in such a long time. And I knew that was pretty rough because I know what her days have been like. She's really struggled. And I said, honey, I'm so sorry. You know, what can I do? And she said, no. She said, just listen. She said, so I'm at work. She said, the morning, it was terrible. She said, it was just terrible. And she said, I was just at the point of tears the whole time. She said, I got my lunch. I went out, and she said, I just spent time with the Lord and said, God, you gotta, you got to encourage me. you got to encourage me. I'm thinking of you. I'm setting my mind on you. And she went back and started to work, and this woman shortly walks in. Uh, quickly, after Ken gets back from lunch, this woman walks in, and Ken said, the minute this lady walked in, she said, Mom, it was like joy entered the room. She said it just, it, she changed the environment. The whole environment changed when this lady walked in. Oh, Lord, may we be like that, right? And she right away walked up to Kennedy and said, hi. And Ken said, can I help you? He was kind of dealing with her coffee. And the lady said, can I ask you a question? And she said, sure. Kennedy said, in my head, I'm thinking she's got to be a believer. Got to be a believer. The lady said, um, are you in school? What are you? She said, yeah, I graduated from Moody. I'm, I'm done. And Oh, what would you graduate in? Biblical studies, music. And What are you doing? Working here. <laughs> and she said, I'm you know, starting a part-time worship position. And she said, that's great. That's great. She said, you know what? She said, I, I need to give you a gift. I need to give you a gift. She said, can you come over a second? Ken thought, it's been such a bad day. Who cares if I get fired? So she she walked walked around the counter, and the lady grabbed her hands and began to pray over her. And she said, Mom, I, I'm, I'm so sad that I can't remember the exact words she said because she said everything she said was specific to my life. She said it wasn't general. It was specific, and it lined up. She said at one point, she said, you have come from a long line of ministers. That is oh so true. You've come from a long line of ministers, but this is God's moment for you to step into your destiny, and you, my child, are going to move mountains. She talked about a year of suffering, a year of grieving. Oh, that couldn't be more true. So Kennedy is crying, and they're hugging one another, and Kennedy said, you have no idea how much I needed this. She said, the minute you walked in here, I said, joy just entered the room. And the lady said this. She stood back, and she looked Kennedy up and down from the top to the bottom, and she said, oh, sweet child. She said, if you could see the robe you are wearing right now. She said, the minute I walked into this coffee house, I knew exactly who you were. Isn't that cool? 
a well-timed word, Kennedy began to bawl. She said, Mom, none of them there are Christians. They're just looking at me. She said, I couldn't even talk. I couldn't even explain what happened. She said, but oh, did it affect the environment. I want to be like that. I want to affect the environment. See, our words are meant to encourage and uplift one another. That's what a New Testament prophet is. It's one to bring encouragement and to speak life into you. Why? Because we all have issues and circumstances that are overwhelming. And we've tried to change them, and we can't. But a well-spoken word. Let me read you just a few verses. That's a bummer. Okay. So just a few verses. Too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. What? That means if your heart's not right, bad stuff's going to come out. Don't just be talking about stuff that you don't know about. Oh, I've done that. (laughs) A lot. Like in front of people. So embarrassing. Great lessons. A gentle tongue is a tree of life. Perversiveness in it breaks the spirit. The tongue of the wise commends. The one who guards his mouth preserves life. Words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise bring healing. Wise words bring many benefits. The mouth of the godly person gives wise advice, but that that tongue that deceives will be cut off too much. Oh, set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. In other words, be careful what we say. If you walk around saying all the time, I'm so forgetful, I'm so forgetful, I forget everything, don't do that. Why don't you try saying, my memory's getting better every day? In fact, let me tell you about a friend of mine. This guy, he's probably 67. We see him twice a year, um, sometimes just once a year. And the last time I saw him, I went up to him and I said, Wes, you look incredible. Like, not just fit. But you look so young, I can't believe it. What's going on with you? What are you using? What are you doing? He said, Marley, I start every morning with communion. My wife and I take communion every morning together. And then I say to the Lord, Father, my preference would be that today I get a day younger, not a day older. So right now I claim I'm a day younger. And he said, something's happening to my body. He goes, look at me. I look great. Look, it it doesn't mean less is never going to die. We're all appointed certain days, but why not enjoy your days while you're here? Why not say, today my memory is getting better. I am not going to come in alignment with the enemy and agree with him when he tells me, Marley, you're sick, your thyroid doesn't work well, you have nodules on your thyroid, you had two biopsies, your thyroid doesn't, no, you know what I've started doing is saying, you know what, today my thyroid's getting better, these nodules are falling off. And if I have to spend my whole life saying that, and even if it never happens, I still believe in God who is the rock and decides everything over my life. I know he can, I believe he will, but even if he doesn't. Your words bring life. I was speaking at an event, and there was this young girl. Sometimes it's things that are insignificant to us, but so big to somebody else. I'm speaking at this event. I come down, and afterwards, I look at this girl, just catch her out of the side of my eye, and I I hear the Lord say, Marley, go tell her I'm going to heal her broken heart. Oh, God, what if she doesn't have a broken heart? (laughs) What if, like, I'm wrong? What if it's not you? I'm like, ah, whatever. So I walk over, and I just said, can I just tell you that I think God just said this to me. He's going to heal your broken heart. 
And she began to weep uncontrollably. And her sister came over and grabbed her. And her sister mouthed to me, she's single and her dog was a baby and he was hit by a car yesterday. Now see, in the grand scheme of life, does that really matter? To her it does. Why? Because she just, she just experienced the mighty God of all creation exploding into her problem. A well-timed word. And the more you worship, the more time you spend with God, the more words he's going to give to you for other people. The more time you spend in his word, his word is going to be in our hearts. So then it comes out of our mouths. Power of prayer and fasting. Esther, let me give you a resource. This is the best teaching on fasting I have ever heard. Tony Evans. Tony Evans, phenomenal Bible teacher. Um, If you Google on YouTube, Tony Evans, fasting Isaiah. uh, It's from 2016. It'll come up. For some reason, it's a picture of a dog. I don't know what it has to do with anything, but. Esther, she's in a time and a place. The Jewish people are going to be annihilated, and what does she do? She calls for a corporate fast. A corporate fast of all the people saves the Jewish nation. She could have stayed silent. Her identity was hidden. Nobody knew she was half Jewish. She had a Babylonian name. Esther is not a Jewish name. It's Babylonian. Her Jewish name was Hadassah. Nobody knew she was Jewish. She could have stayed silent, but she didn't. What did she do? She says, you know what? Let's get everybody praying and fasting for three days, day and night. And then I'm going to go before the king uninvited, which was normally punished by death. And if I die, I die. In other words, I'm going to do all I can right here, battling in the spiritual realm, And if it affects my physical realm and it ends my life, it ends my life. And what happens? Mercy. Fasting moves the hand of God in a way that just praying will not. Many of us are in situations, and you've said, I've done everything. My question to you is this. Have you spent a significant amount of time praying and fasting? We don't talk about this in a lot of our churches. We have fasted. during different seasons of our life. We do not have a regular day of fasting. I had a professor in college every Tuesday, he fasted. He said, I want to complete 52 days of fasting every year. Some people fast regularly, others do it seasons of life. I'm getting ready to go into a fast with my sister and some other women. We're gonna be fasting for our children and our nation. So you need to listen to very wise Bible teachers. This is, like I said, Tony Evans, this is the best teaching on fasting I've ever heard. Jensen Franklin is another good resource. But what fasting does is it says no to the flesh so that my spirit is fed. When the disciples went in town to get food and Jesus met the Samaritan woman at the well, they came back with food from him and he said, I don't need any food. I have food you don't know about. See, he had a regular life of prayer and fasting. So when the little boy that was filled with the demon The disciples tried to take it out of him. The little boy, one translation says he had epilepsy. He would begin to shake. He would have a seizure, and then the demon would throw him into the fire. Jesus said this comes out by prayer and fasting, this kind. 
Jesus wasn't meaning this specific kind of demon. What he was meaning was there are some battles that are so deep and so dark and have such strongholds in your life. The only way that you are going to break free of them is by prayer and fasting. Jesus was asked, why don't your disciples fast? And he said, because I'm here. When I'm gone, my disciples will fast. Fasting and prayer, you have to pray too, otherwise you're just dieting, okay? It is a, it is a, it is a, a saying no to what I want so that, I, literally, this sounds bad, but let me say it like this, I get God's attention. God, he has his attention on us, but it's a deeper, it's something more. It's extreme. I fasted for a month. There was a situation in our family, and I had no control about it. I was an extended family, no control. My heart was breaking, and I was so frustrated because I didn't have the right or the opportunity to address it. It would fall on deaf ears. And I said to the Lord, you know what? I'm going to fast for a month. I'm going to fast for 30 days. Maybe, maybe you'll move then. I'll do anything it takes. I love this person so much. And so what I did for 30 days, you can design the fast how you feel fit. I, many, many fasts, I've said, Lord, what do you want me to fast from? A fast literally means closing your mouth, so usually it has to do with food. But you can fast from TV or social media or whatever you want to do. But this particular fast, I said, for one month, I'm only going to do liquids. That's what I'm going to do. And can I tell you, the first three days are really hard. You get a headache. You get kind of a fasting flu. Sometimes you feel sick. But how badly do I want someone to be set free? How badly do you want your marriage to be healed? Well, I can't fast because I take medication. Eat a couple crackers and take the pills. It's okay. It's an issue of the heart. It's not legalistic. How badly do you want your kid to be set free? I mean, one verse I want to read to you. Isaiah, flip over to Isaiah 58.6. This is what it says. Is, is not this kind of fasting I've chosen to loose the chains of injustice, untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? That's what God wants to do, to set the oppressed free. Are you oppressed in your marriage? Are you oppressed in your finances, oppressed in your health? Consider a fast. It's another option. Have you tried everything? See, people come to us all the time and say, will you pray for our marriage? Will you pray for my son? Yeah, let me pray right now for you. You know why? Because I'm going to forget about it. I'm not going to wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning worried about your kid. I'm going to wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning worried about mine. You have to go to battle for your family. You have to go to battle for your marriage. You can't glob on to someone else who has a, a walk with Christ that's deeper than mine. Or, I'm saying it for myself. I'm, I'm thinking of my mentors that are 
so spirit-filled and they know the word so well. And my tendency is to try and get as close to them as possible because I think they have an inside track. They don't. They wrestled and they battled for it. My experiences, I wrestled and I battled for my experiences with the Lord. You have to do that too. We have to know the word. I'm going to save the power of identity for tomorrow. There's the the story of two lumberjacks. One was young and one was old. And they were having a competition to see how many could how many trees they could cut down. Tony Evans talks about this. And there was, and the young one, he, he just worked all day. He was fit and vibrant, worked all day. The old one would work for an hour, and then he'd take a 15-minute break. Work for an hour, take a 15-minute break. At the end of the day, the old one won. He cut down more trees than the young one. The young one came to him and said, how can that be? I worked all day. I didn't take one break. You took a break for 15 minutes on the hour every hour. And the old lumberjack said, well, when I was on my break, I sharpened my axe. That's what you're doing when you're fasting. You're sharpening your axe. I'll tell you one more story. My mother, isn't that good? Yeah, it's good. Don't give me credit for that. That's Tony Evans. Seek out good teachers, you guys. We have so many resources. Uh, My mother... Uh, almost died about 17 years ago with rheumatoid arthritis. Um, I didn't know that rheumatoid arthritis could be that bad. It's infection through your body. And she has arthritis in her lungs even, and she breathes very roughly today. But she did not die. Uh, But she she was bedridden for a year and a half. We thought she was going to die. She was gray from head to toe. Her eyes were rolled back in her head. She couldn't close her mouth. She couldn't sit up. She couldn't feed herself. Her hands were in. She was in kind of an infant-like... uh, skate in the bed, couldn't feed herself, couldn't. She called me in the room one time to scratch her nose. Uh, that's how bad it was. And um, by the grace of God, he, he raised her up. But we called for a corporate fast. This is what I want to focus on. Lots of details to the story that don't matter. We called for a corporate fast of our church. My mom and dad didn't go to our church. They lived an hour away. But I went before our congregation of five or 600 people, and I said, can I tell you my mom's um, 60 years old, and she's confined to a bed. Or she was 55 at the time. She's confined to a bed. And I need you to join with me in prayer. Would you fast with me? Many people did. One friend of mine, one friend of mine came to me and said, you know, um, the Lord told me to fast from chocolate for your mom. I said, wow, that's a lot for you, Christy, because <laughs> Christy loves her chocolate. So a year and a half later, Christy is still fasting from chocolate for my mother. Christy asked the Lord, could there be anything else that I fast from? Because I, I, I do that. Nope, we're going to go with chocolate, your number one love of food. Christy said, when will this fast end? How long do I fast for? She's thinking, I can make it a week. I can make it two weeks. He said, you fast from chocolate until Shirley Valade, my mother, offers you chocolate. She goes, oh, man, I never see her. I've only seen her once. We don't live in the same town. She's confined to bed. Oh, Lord. 
So a year and a half later, when God has done so many miracles in my mother's life and has raised her up, I happen to have a garage sale. And my mother comes over to my house to help me with my garage sale. Christy lives around the corner. Christy saw the signs, didn't know whose garage sale it was, stops by and sees, oh, it's your garage sale. Cool. So Christy and I are sitting on the front lawn talking and watching the kids play. And my mom comes out with some fudgesicles. And she walks up to us and she says, hey, you guys want some fudgesicles? And Christy goes, yes, I do. She goes, and I want the M&Ms and I want a chocolate brownie. Do you have any hot fudge? Because I'd like some hot fudge. <laughs> and I said, Mom, I'm going to grab you a chair. I'm going to take this chair. It's going to be wet. What your precious sisters in Christ has done for you and why you're walking today. Why you didn't die in that bed. It's because people went back. We were talking about the other day, mom is now 80, and she doesn't really have the use of her hands. She's had both of her knees replaced at the same time, both of her hips replaced at the same time, both of her shoulders. She did those one-on-one. -on -one. She had both of her big toes replaced, all of the rest of her toes broken and straightened. They wanted to do her hands, and she said, no, I'm done. She said, I'm going to be uh, dragged away by powerful magnets if I do anymore. <laughs> she said, I'm done. She doesn't really have the use of her hands. We're still praying over that. I have the vision that one day someone's going to look at her and say, Shirley, stretch your hand out. And how one day Jesus is going to give her a whole new body. This is temporary. But until then, I will speak words of life over my mother. She said to me the other day, you know, I just, my hands don't work. She said, I wonder why. God raised me up so far and then didn't heal this. I said, well, let's review. I remember feeding you. I remember cleaning you. I remember changing your sheets while you were still in the bed. I remember you screaming in pain when a sheet would fall over you. I remember promising you that I would not put you in a nursing home on my watch. At this point in my life, if I can take care of you, I will. She said, yeah, I remember that too. I said, oh, God has raised us up, and we will speak in victory, and we will walk in victory. We are still in a battle, friends. And when we get serious about battling in the spiritual realm, something's going to change. I'll tell you what, Christy was changed. Christy said, oh, I am a different person a year and a half later just from fasting and praying for Shirley Blade. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done in my life. You will be changed. Friends, you have power. You have things at your disposal. Weapons of war that are so powerful against the enemy. Can I encourage you to pick those weapons up? Can I encourage you to study deeper? Keep a notebook with you when you study and write a verse down. When a verse hits you for a person, write it down. Speak that over their lives. As I was getting ready this morning, I know I'm done, right? As I, yeah, you're done, Mark. Um, as I was getting ready this morning, I, I thought of one of my nieces. She just kind of popped into my head. And I, so I begin to pray for her, and I heard the Holy Spirit say, right now, text her and tell her you're praying for her. I'm like, but God, I'm blowing my hair dry, and I'm doing stuff. Text her right now. 
So I stopped and I texted her and she texted me back and she said, oh, Annie Marnar, thank you so much. She said, I'm waiting on some test results. She said, routine stuff, but I'm a little scared. Well-timed words, friends. Do not discount the power of the Holy Spirit in your life to use you in the lives of other people in their spiritual battle. It is so important. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you so much and I lift up your name. I thank you for what you are doing right now in our lives. Things we can't see, but we are going to reap the benefits of. So, Father, I pray that you would strengthen us as warriors like Jen prayed. What a great prayer. Strengthen us as warriors. Make our roots go down deep so that we don't tip over in the face of adversity. But we stand and we put that armor on and we stand. And when the trial is over, we're still standing. Lord, we want to use the weapons you've given us of prayer. Sometimes, Father, it scares us because if we don't, if we don't really understand, sometimes we get bored with prayer. Sometimes we, we pray for five minutes and then we have nothing else to say and we don't understand listening or just being in your presence. We don't get it. We need you, Holy Spirit, to walk us through all of that and to be with us and to grow us. We need your help. We need your help with our words and what's in our hearts. Change our hearts, God. Help us to understand the value of our words and the power that you've put into our tongues. We don't want to light fires. We don't want to set fires. We want to speak words of life. We want to be encouraging. And Father, finally, fasting. Teach us. Teach us, God. Use people like Jimmy Evans and Robert Morris and, and Tony Evans and Jensen Franklin and um, people like that, Father, who have studied so much and have a deeper, a deeper experience in these things. Use them in our lives. Help us to be good learners. And then, Father, help us to pick up these weapons that you have given to us to battle in the spiritual battle. We bless my friends, Lord. Thank you that they came back today. Thank you, Jesus. I love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. <music>